You're listening to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes Podcast. We're going to jump right into our grateful moment. Kelvin, what are you grateful for this week? Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am grateful this week. It's funny. Um, I was gifted a, long, a, a snowblower, and when I got my snowblower this week, I realized it was really beat up, <laughs> and, and the string was popped, and I had some problems with the carburetor, but thank God I got a neighbor that lives right next door to me. He helped me fix it. It's up and running, so I'm ready for any type of weather this year, so I'm happy about that. I'm grateful for that. For that. Very nice. Very nice. Philip, what are you grateful for this week? Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm grateful for my wife and my kids and my daughter's back in the grind. Both of them um, doing their basketball workouts and so forth, getting prepped for the school year. So I'm happy to see that and to be a part of that. And I'm thankful for everyone to, on the show. Great. Evan, what are you grateful for this week? Uh, I'm grateful because I had a, a, a minor procedure done on Friday, uh, but I'm grateful that it was pretty much pain-free. I am good to go, and hopefully um, no more surprises. Good. That's, I'm, I'm very glad to hear that. And Laura, what are you grateful for? Yes, ma'am. Um, I'm grateful for yesterday, I believe, my team receive their gear. And it might seem like a small thing, but having a team buy into uniformity and feeling as though they're just like everyone else on campus and I wasn't able to even give them a t-shirt, just having that feeling of giving them something that unifies them. I mean, I can't even begin how that made me feel. So definitely grateful for that. That is awesome. Love to hear that. And I am grateful because this week I got notification. As our listeners know, I started a new job in July, about three months ago now. And I had my first trial, which was, the the trial took two weeks, first of all. So my life was in shambles. But we got the decision from the judge and we won. So I'm really, really excited about that. I got the first W under my belt. Hopefully it will be one of many. Congrats. Congrats. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yes, congrats. So today we have a very, very special guest and I am so excited. Being the lady on this show, we get to interview a lot of great guys, but today we have a dynamic woman and I'm so excited for our listeners to hear her story. Laura Harper is um, an American basketball coach and former WNBA player who is currently the head women's basketball coach at Coppin State University. This is a big deal. She played professionally with the Sacramento Monarchs in the WNBA and also played um, internationally for some time. Laura, thank you so much for taking your time out. We know how busy it is um, being a head coach. And so we really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm super grateful for this moment. Tell our listeners um, a little bit about your background, where are you from, and um, when did you first start playing basketball? 
Okay. Um, so my name is Laura Harper. I'm from Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> born and raised. I, it's funny because my father, Havlin Harper, you know, he was the basketball guy of the, the family, the household. You know, he played at George Washington. He had coached for over 30 years, high school in Philly. And I just, basketball wasn't really my thing. So um, I didn't really get started until I was 13. I got cut from a team in sixth grade. You know, I just was an extremely late bloomer and I'm not really patient with when I'm not good at things. So um, I, I wasn't convinced that basketball was my sport. Wow. Um, Laura, so you just talked about your dad, one of my favorite, favorite people, by the way, um, Coach Hart. Um, now, did your dad, you said you weren't, you know, you weren't like I thought you always loved basketball. So you just surprised me because I didn't know that. Now, how did your dad influence you playing basketball? Because it didn't seem like he pushed you. How did he impact you from, you know, from you picking it up in, in high school? For sure. Um, I can say it's an ultimate blessing that I had a father that didn't push anything on me. He allowed me to take the path that I wanted to take at my timing. So I was only really able to watch him coach and his passion with his players and just that camaraderie he had with his sons, as he called everyone, buddy or son, mm -hmm. um, you know, throughout the process. So it, it's just, it's amazing when I think back to, first of all, eighth grade, I was five, seven. And then I went to high school when I was six, two. So um, oh, wow. that was, that, <laughs> that growth spurt definitely changed just the dynamic of who I was as a woman, um, just how I walked and moved and talked. And it was definitely that was when I was like, okay, maybe, maybe this is something I should try. Right. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, it's, that's great because I have three daughters, Laura. And um, my thing is, when did you know that this was the sport you want to pursue? Because it, there's an aha moment. When was that aha moment that I could really take this to the next level? You know, I think the aha moment for me came my junior year of high school. You know, my freshman and sophomore year, I was doing it and I was running and I was playing hard. And I'm the kind of person, just the way my parents raised me was, you're going to do everything you do as hard as you possibly can. Even if you're terrible, you're going to play, you're going to work as hard as you can. So mm -hmm. just by <laughs> default, I had to be on the floor just because no one was really going to outwork me. Um, but my junior year, things just started to fall into place. And now I'm like blocking shots and I'm making layups and colleges were recruiting me. And, you know, the recruiting process 20 years ago is something totally different to what it is now, you know? So I was actually ignorant to the fact of what level I was on. I just wanted to play ball. So you talked a little bit about the recruiting process. Um, what were your top three schools and how did you ultimately settle to go to Maryland? Well, um, I think it's hard for me to say top three schools because being from Philly, you know, Dawn Staley was an idol and I was highly, highly recruited by Temple and I was highly, highly recruited by George Washington um, just because of the history there with Joe McHugh and my dad playing there. So then all of a sudden that junior year, like we talked about, I went to a USA basketball event and now UConn has offered me, you know? Um, 
after that event. And before that, Marilyn, Brenda Free, she's actually 35 at the time, which is kind of cool because I'm almost 35. She saw something in me that no one really saw before. And that relationship was something that just allowed me to be myself, um, just allowed me comfort in who I was trying to become because she believed in my future and not where I was at that time. Um, so with that being said, coming off a season that was 10 and 18 at Maryland, I knew I had a place there and that we had the resources and facilities to support. And now we have this young up and coming coach that was fiery, just filled with passion and knew nothing but success there. And I felt as though I aspired to be someone like her. That's awesome. And I don't want this to be lost on our listeners, but Laura just told us that she started playing basketball at 13, 13 years old. And a few years later, she's being recruited by the top schools in our nation. I mean, that is just amazing in and of itself. Um, Tell us a little bit about your transition um, from high school to playing on the collegiate level. I guess, what was your freshman year like um, being a college athlete as opposed to um, what your high school career was like? No, for sure. So high school, it's funny because my senior year of high school, I broke my hand in the playoffs. And I had this like monstrous cast on my hand, but they tried to tell me I couldn't play with the cast because it was a hard cast. So somehow I like found some soft wrap that allowed me to play. And um, the referees were not really about it, but I played with one hand my senior year. And um, Coach Freeze was not really excited about it just because of the nature to the break that I had. But I, I just, I wasn't going to not play. So that was how I ended high school. And then I had to recover from there. Then when I went to my freshman year, a lot of it was now, okay, you need to build strength. You need to build size. You know, I was kind of string beanie in stature when I got to college and, um, you know, the protein shakes were definitely flowing fast and (laughs) the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches were coming strong. Um, But unfortunately, nine games into my freshman year, I tore my Achilles tendon. um, And at that time, I was actually leading the team in points and rebounds. And that was just something that monumental shifts, humbling experience, changed who I am. And I know I would not be the player, the person, the coach I am now if if that didn't happen at that moment in time. So, yeah, you... um... Laura, yeah, yeah, I didn't even realize how decorated your resume was, first of all. So me going through it today, I'm sitting there like, yeah, wow. Like out of Philly, you're probably one of the most decorated people. And you're very humble about it, by the way. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, but can you talk about, because at Maryland, people might not know, the listeners might not know that you won a national championship. Now, can you tell us about that run in the national championship and what stuck out to you the most that year or maybe just that game? Well, again, just coming off of a torn Achilles the year before, I felt as though I really had something to prove. I felt that, and I don't know if people know the nature of an Achilles injury, but I can tell you that after I did it, I felt like my foot was not attached to my leg. Mm. And I couldn't conceptualize 
what that feeling was and if I would or could ever play again. Um, so everything in me was the, the fight back, the pushback. I have to work twice as hard, three times as hard. And then, you know, Coach Freeze said, even when I did come back, I wasn't going to be a starter again. You know, mm -hmm. like I had to earn and fight and just get back to where, where I was going to be. And I didn't start playing until October, my sophomore year, which is 2005, six season when we won in 2006. So once I got back, you know, it took me some time. I was shooting over the basket a couple of times. <laughs> you know, I was super goofy, but there was just, there, there's just something in my DNA. And as I'm coaching now, I'm learning that you either have it or you don't, you know? Yeah. And I can say, I just, I know I have that in me where success is going to find me because I'm going to work that hard and I'm going to surround myself with people that believe in me and are going to work equally as hard. Um, so my sophomore year, when we won, I was around everyone that was bought into what we were becoming. And I was bought into my role as a fifth option of a five <laughs> of a starting five. And I was okay with that, you know? Mm -hmm. so. um, Laura, thank you for that. And I just kind of wanted to piggyback off of um, what you mentioned about your injury. Um, tell us about, I guess, your road to recovery. And did that impact your perspective on the kind of player you were in your sophomore year when you guys won? No, a, a thousand percent. I mean, when you talk about gratitude and gratefulness, I think when that game is taken from you and you have to watch it from the sidelines and you know that you could impact and you just physically can't, um, that's something that changes who you are as a player and just like every moment means something more. It also allows you to have gratitude towards your physicians, the surgeons, the trainers, the coaches, the people that you know you cry to, your teammates that carried your books, brought you meals. I mean, it just allows you to see all the parts of the puzzle of, of success, you know, because a lot of people think it's a, it's a straight road to success and they think that you can do it by yourself. Um, so I think that my sophomore year, as that was happening, I mean, the first person I went to find was my surgeon, you know, because I felt like he saved me. And, um, <laughs> and that was just something that that relationship, that bond with my surgeon and my athletic trainers, it just, it was, it was so special. That's wow. amazing. That is truly amazing. And that same year, you you were you got the outstanding, most outstanding player in 2006 tournament that helped your school win the championship. But I want to move move a little further on. Walk us through when they invite you back. How did that feel? They hung your jersey. You know, um, when I when I was told that that was going to happen, I I couldn't believe it. Um, I didn't understand. I. I don't know. I just, I don't like the accolades and the recognition part. I just want to work. Like even now, you know, I, I just feel like there's so much more work to be done um, for that moment, for my family, for my niece and my nephew. I think it was more special for them than it was for me. Um, but I think it's really cool that when I was coaching at High Point, I was able to bring my team back to Maryland and they were able to see my name up in the stands. Um, so I think for that, it's really special. For me, I know I'm blessed um, and just God did 
amazingly abundant things for me and and I continue to be blessed and, and walking in his light. Wow, wow. Um, now, as you were preparing to go to the WNBA, uh, what, what was your mindset coming into the draft and then during your rookie year? What was your mindset coming in? No, for sure. Um, again, like I said, I'm kind of different. So I didn't really think about the draft until the draft. Um, I was still thinking about losing um, <laughs> my, yeah. my senior year of college and how we lost. So then when it was like, oh, you're going to be invited to the draft. And, you know, I picked an amazing agent in Boris Chitsky, and he more so prepared me mentally for, hey, you might be a first round pick. We're pretty sure, you know, you just won most outstanding player two years ago. You're getting better. And I'm like, first round, like, look at this class. I'm playing with Sylvia Fowles and Candace Parker and Krista Langhorn. I mean, these players are just so special. And again, I just said, okay, well, I'll be here. You know, if somebody wants me, I'll be here and I'll be ready to work. Sticking with the WNBA, um, <clears throat> and you play with a lot of great players. My question was, you know, a lot of times the women uh, have what I've understood, have a lot of time, a lot of times they, they enjoy playing abroad more so than playing in the U.S. and the WNBA. As far as your experience, um, did you like it more, the WNBA? Did you like your career more overseas? So, in my opinion, people say they like playing abroad because the money's better abroad. I'm not sure if they actually like the experience better. Um, I just think that they're grateful to be compensated for their worth there, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, for me, I've also had six, eight knee surgeries, actually. Um, through my career. So I am so grateful for the overseas process because it always gave me a chance to come back. So I told my ACL, I was able to come back, microfracture come back. So, you know, a lot of people can go overseas and just refine their game, work on things that they might not necessarily be able to work on when it's 130 of the top players in the world. And all you have is that one opportunity, that one chance to, to show who you are. Um, so in that regard, I love playing overseas. I had amazing different countries that I played in Italy and Turkey and Russia. Um, so for that, I was again, I was extremely blessed for where I was actually able to play. That's awesome. Um, mentioning you played in Italy, Turkey, Russia, obviously you were in Sacramento. I just have to ask, where was your favorite place to be during your career? I have to say Italy. Um, mm. I loved playing in Venice. And it's, it's crazy because that's where I tore my ACL initially. Okay. Um, but just the lifestyle, the fact that the whole country shuts down for lunch, like everything shuts down. Everyone comes home. They value being together with their families. They slow down. I know for me, I find a hard time to slow down for 15 minutes a day. So... <laughs> You know, to think that a whole country is able to shut down and then restart and become more um, productive in the second half of the day. They work a little bit later in the day, but I just, I love being a part of that food, that culture. I mean, the markets, it, it just was really special. Well, cool. Um, Laura, my question is, when was that time when it said it's time to hang it up and how was that transition from a player into a coaching career and how that come about? 
So, you know, again, if it weren't for my steps being ordered, I know that this makes no sense to anyone. And that's how I know, you know, Jesus is real and I have divine intervention. But my last season I played in Moscow, Russia with two of my college teammates, Chrissy Chalver and Crystal Langhorn. Um, and it was just one of the best moments in my life to be able to go and play with my collegiate teammates. And literally my last game of my career, I had 40 points. And I was playing, I was asked to go back to play on another team, the WNBA, but that game, like my knee with sublex, so it would come in, come out. I'd have to like stand and kind of shake my knee back in place and mm. then kind of like hobble down. But no one really knew that I was doing all this because I'm like almost too tough for my own good, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> and at that point, I'm like, there's, there's no going up from here. That feeling of just success and playing with people I love. And, you know, throughout my journey of injuries, I was able to go back to Maryland, go back to other schools, watch other coaches, feel this like I have more passion to give. And if I can't give it through my passion and playing, I have to be able to share that with my players. Um, and I think right then I knew I, I had to coach. Awesome. And what has your experience been like um, now being the head coach um, at Coppin State? And how have you been able to lead during COVID? Obviously, this is a very unprecedented time. Um, did that affect your ability um, to kind of lead your girls, even though I'm sure the dynamics are a little different? No, for sure. Um, COVID is where we are right now. And I think a lot of people are either going to use it as an excuse or they're going to use it as an opportunity. Um, and I tell my team this a lot. And I am challenged with how to change a culture, to engage them, to force them to, to speak up, to be good teammates, to, to just love on each other. Um, so for me, I started with a lot of Zooms. You know, we Zoomed once a week. Mm -hmm. I tried to have like an agenda, speak to them. Right now we have a quote of the day type of thing. I asked nice. them to respond to these quotes of the day, hear what they're thinking. Um, and it's challenging, but this is just the world that we're in. And I am so motivated to be successful that I almost feel like I have to work harder now because so many people are making the excuse to not work because it's like, oh, mm -hmm. we're in COVID. Like, you know, I'm working from home, I'm staying from home, I'm not going to do this, but we are going to get through this pandemic. Yes. And it's going to be something in history that we're able to look back. And I think the people that survive and thrive in it are going to be the ones that will remain standing, remain standing. Um, Very true. You know, and, and that's what motivates me. And that's what I try to help motivate my players. However, you know, mental health is real. I think that they're extremely struggling in the staying at home and not fully understanding why they can't have their normal lives and why they have to wear these masks. So that's something that I'm really reading and trying to rely, rely heavily, you know, on our professionals to help them with that. So I was, I was super excited when I heard that you were the head coach at Coppin. Uh, being as though that I played at Coppin for a couple of years. So I was excited. Somebody I know got the job um, over there. And my question is, why did you pick Coppin? You know, I'm sure you had a lot of opportunities, but why Coppin for you? Well, um, again, 
So my path went, I was at University of Florida for two years in, as an assistant, then um, resigned and I was taking some time to get myself together. And I was drawn to Mount Verde Academy, which is an elite high school program in Florida. Yeah. So having that moment, that opportunity with the high school level girls, being able to improve my communication skills, because to me, if you can communicate with high school girls, it's a lot easier to communicate with college girls, right? Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, now Coppin came open. I said, this is, this is the blessing I, I'm looking for, given the day and time that we're in as, you know, a black woman, coach, leader, woman of power that's now wanting to lead and be an example to all of these girls so people can say someone is out there speaking for me, advocating for me, listening to me, looking out for me. And I feel as though as women of color, sometimes we're afraid to really step out and take those notions to lead in that way. And I feel like if I can't do it, if we can't do it, how are we leading and preparing this generation to be powerful women? Um, so to me, it made the most sense. Um, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be at this point in time. And now I'm an hour and a half away from my family and they can watch this um, journey as well. Nice, love it. Hey, now I wanted to have your, your, I want to ask you about your take about the bubble for the WNBA and NBA and also that the from the time you played and the strive the WNBA have come to this day. So I'm sorry. You were asking about the bubble. Can you just repeat the end of the question? Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. So uh, just compare your time in the WNBA. Yes. To the current and how the strives have taken. You know the pay raise, the 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 the, the notoriety, especially how Kobe has brought for for run. How do you? How, what's your take on that? And even the bubble. Gotcha. Okay. No, that makes sense. So, you know, when I was in the WNBA, I was just happy to be there. One could say I was pretty aloof. Um, I didn't really look big picture. I'm just not a big picture thinker. So I'm very in the moment. I need to attack now, right now. And that's something that I'm working on with my <laughs> growth and development. But when I remember what my first check was like, and I was thinking about how is this really going to be a sustainable living moving forward, big picture, and what I'm really trying to do. I understood that things had to change for compensation, for work, for effort, for everything. Um, and now, you know, the bubble was definitely had its challenges. But to me, it was the best publicized that the league has ever been. They were the most unified with all their stances on, you know, say her name, Brianna Taylor, voting rights. Mm -hmm. um, I think that this was this was a blessing in disguise with how they were able to hold a platform and just gravitate towards young women. Um, and now that the players union has fought for increased pay, now you actually have people that might not feel as though they're forced to go overseas to to still sustain an income. Okay. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more. So I kind of have a, a twofold question. Twofold question. Uh, one, I want to know, you seem to be a person that, uh, a person of faith, and you seem to be a person that kind of, you find contentment no matter where you are. So one thing I want to know, because Coppin State ultimately 
within the profession, you know, that's not going to be a final destination for you retire. It may be, but I doubt it based on how I'm listening to listening to you and I perceive you, your potential as a coach as, as a, as a amateur, as amateur as I am. Um, but where do you see your, do you see yourself coaching at the professional level? Do you see yourself coaching in the NBA? So that's, that's one part of the question. That, that, that's one question. And the second question I'll ask after you answer that. You know, I will never close any doors for coaching. I love basketball to the point where like, I tried so hard to take yesterday off from thinking about basketball. And today I'm like in the shower getting ready for this. I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I gotta write a list. I'm, I'm behind, like, you know, like I took 24 hours off from basketball and I'm just like, what about the scheduling? And what about the uniforms? And now I have to like write all this list so I don't forget everything going on in my head. Um, so I say all that because this is like, I live for this. I, I love it. This is my life. This, these are my thoughts. Um, all I have to remind myself is to put God first always, um, because I haven't always done that, um, in a way that would be necessarily pleasing to him. Um, so with that being said, I feel like this is a ministry for me. So as long as I'm able to minister to athletes and, and be supportive to them, I think I'll go wherever is best for me. I, I like my role right now in collegiate women's sports because I think I, I have a powerful voice here. Um, but again, all, only God knows my steps and and I just wanna continue to coach. Great, great, great answer. And my second question is just after it gets down to, you know, being considered for a coach. What is that whole process like? We, we know the draft process, we know, but we, what is it like when you're a candidate to be a coach, you come and get interviewed, and then you also know there's other candidates being interviewed for that same job. So what is it like being interviewed and going through the process of being selected as a head coach? Wow, well, you know, everyone's interview process is different um, depending on what school, what position, the athletic director. You know, I can definitely speak on on my experience and typically, you know, in most experiences, there's, there's a panel, you know, of, of people that you go through levels of the interview process. So the initial level is sending out your resume and having someone kind of put a bug in an AD's ear. It's, it's extremely challenging to get a job just off of one email, you know, because people are receiving thousands of emails per day and when you think about, you know, selecting a coach, there's a level of vulnerability and a lack of trust in knowing if you're just going to pick someone that doesn't really have any relation. That makes sense. So um, the first part of my process was definitely making sure my residents <laughs> out there and, and they knew who I was and making sure people that knew them were able to, to reach them as well. Um, after that, there was definitely a review process of resume where I am. I had to go through a lot of the, the um, application process. And then I went to the first round of interviewing. Um, given this being COVID, typically I probably would have been on campus, but um, this is a little bit different. So there were multiple rounds of uh, virtual interviews. And then it's, it's a dreadful waiting game, you know, because it's not just you being interviewed. It's, a whole number of people, a whole number of demographics that have to be checked off a list to make sure they're going through their process. So I don't know if that helps, but 
it can be quite stressful trying to get to wait and then make sure you have every aspect of what they're looking for um, down pat. And so I guess, I guess the one question I had that you might not have answered, and I hate to drag the question on, but, um, but thank for the answer. The one question I had is like, do they, is that as much about X's and O's or what's kind of the focus of the interview process? X's and O's, your, relate, your relatability to players, stuff like that. So to me, and in most, X's and O's are last. Um, at first, your reputation is first. Your, um, your ability to just present as a professional, I think is second, since you're now gonna be you know, the leader of this program. Then once you've met those criterias, then it's like, okay, well, what's your plan? Um, <laughs> how are you gonna win? How are you gonna, because you, know, you get a job, whether someone is super successful and they were, you know, taking the program somewhere, they're going somewhere else and someone new comes, or you get a job where you just completely need to change your leadership because of lack of success. So, you know, I got the job from the latter. So now it's like, well, what new are you going to bring? Um, and that was more so my questioning. That makes sense. It does. It does. Thank you so much. No problem. Absolutely. Um, Laura, and I'm sure you're aware of this, but you are a great inspiration and a role model to many young women. I mean, you have had a career that people can look up to, can celebrate with. Um, now you're in a position where you're a head coach um, at Coppin State. Um, what would you say to young women who want to pursue their dreams, whether it's sports related or not, but may feel intimidated or who may feel like they're not good enough? Um, what are some words of encouragement that you would give to them? Well, first, first and foremost, don't ever let anyone tell you that you can't do something that you believe that you can do. Um, if you set your mind out, out to do something, as long as you prepare and you plan to work to achieve your goal, you can do anything you want to do. Um, with that being said, I think specifically as women, sometimes we let our emotions, myself included, kind of take over the actual path. And I would say, write your goals down. We don't do this enough where we write down our goals, where we speak everything into existence and then write down steps in your mind that are going to be necessary to achieve the goals. So I think more so, it's more than just to say you can do something and believe it, now plan on how it's gonna get done. Awesome. I really love that. And before we let you go, um, do you have um, social media handles where people can follow you, young women? I mean, I work with a lot of young people, so I think you know, you'll be a great person for them to kind of follow. Are you on Instagram, Facebook? Yes, yes. So most of my handles are at Coach L Harper. Um, so it's pretty consistent for the most part. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram there. Facebook is my name, Laura Harper. And um, yeah, I try, I try to stay as connected as possible via social media, even though it's not my best thing, but I'm trying. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. I mean, I can't thank you enough. I loved this interview. I love your perspective. Um, you're just a winner. And, and it translates. 
it translated very well um, in this interview. So thank you for taking the time to come with us. Um, I wish you nothing but great success here to years of winning, um, years of instilling that championship spirit into young women. Um, I'm just so excited to see where your career takes you. Well, thank you so much for those powerful words. I'm grateful for this. So thank you everyone just for having me. This was awesome. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes. Please remember to follow us, like, share. We are on Facebook and Instagram. Our Facebook handle is at a lady and that is the and sign, some dudes. Our handle on Instagram is a lady and some dudes. Everything is spelled out. So that's a lady, A and D, some dudes. Until next time.